Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Welcome to Ashto's ETAP Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Dr. Shahab Curran is co-founder and chief executive officer of Power Edison and co-founder and executive chairman of its sister company, EV Edison. Companies offering innovative renewable energy, electric vehicle charging, and mobile energy storage solutions for the grid. By his own words, a vision for a peaceful world with universal access to clean and sustainable sources of energy, food, and water drives Dr. Curran's efforts. On this edition of the ETAP podcast, Dr. Curran will discuss approaches and solutions for meeting grid demand for electric vehicle charging. Dr. Curran, welcome to Ashto's ETAP podcast. Thank you for having me, Bernie. I think before we get into some of the questions about the work that you're doing, folks might not be familiar with the two companies that I just mentioned. Tell us a little bit about those companies and yourself, if you would, please, to start us off. I have uh, been in the clean tech space for about almost 20 years now, and prior to that in in the technology space and communication space. Throughout this journey, worked on solar energy, smart grid, other projects, other technologies, and about six or seven years ago, saw and came to realize that energy storage is considered to be the holy grail of the power sector. And, you know, we we want to transition to clean energy, but the sun is not shining 24-7, the wind is not blowing 24-7, so energy storage remains a major obstacle. So uh, a number of colleagues of mine and and myself founded a company called Power Edison back in March of 2016, focused on the acceleration and the adoption of energy storage on the grid. And we focus primarily on larger scale batteries, meaningful size, megawatts, what we call. And within the energy storage space, we focus further on what we call mobile energy storage. That effectively is a a big battery on a truck or a big battery on a barge that can be transported uh, where needed, when needed, to provide power and and grid support to the grid. So Power Edison is an energy storage development and technology development company with a focus on mobility. That's a company. We have clients in the form of utilities. We have clients in the form of, you name it, charging companies, anyone who needs electricity and might be faced with challenges on the grid, we help them. In the last year or two, we saw that the electrification sector of transportation has become a major driver for the need of those solutions, primarily the mobile batteries. And we decided to form a sister company called EV Edison, focus on the promotion, business development, and acceleration of the EV charging space in the sector. So while Power Edison is the core mobile batteries, EV Edison is sector focus on the electrification of the transportation sector. And I'll talk more about what we do, but this is the primary difference and this is what we do. You talked about the energy and the transportation sectors, obviously two areas that you're heavily involved with. How can those two sectors best partner to address the infrastructure required to support electrification of vehicle fleets? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. These are two sectors with, with a strong nexus when it comes to energy and, and power. There are also two sectors that are experiencing rapid and drastic change and adoption of technologies and uh, mode of operation. 
so on the transportation side, we're seeing electrification of vehicles, we're seeing new equipment, we're seeing new methods of charging, of where to stop and how long to stop to pick up that energy. And on the energy side, it is going through its own transformation, as we know, due to climate change issues and due to technological advances. We're seeing in the energy sector that we're moving away from the centralized generation and then distribution to consumers of energy to where the generation is becoming decentralized. People can generate energy at their rooftop. They can generate energy in their backyard. And so the two industries separately are going through drastic transformation, yet there's a strong nexus. So now the challenge is how do you coordinate and balance two moving parts at the same time? I personally grew up in the tech space, the semiconductor space, the communications before getting into the energy sector. And one of the key requirements for success was communication. And so we did that through the form of IEEE committees, the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineering Committees. They happen to be headquartered in Piscataway, New Jersey, by the way, but it's a, it's a global organization. And without the work of IEEE committees, your cell phone that you might buy from Apple would not work on a network that's set up by Verizon. And so that seamless communication and coordination is key. And I would say the same needs to happen between the energy sector and the transportation sector, whether it's the infrastructure planners, whether it's, it's the roadways, whether it's the OEM of cars and vehicles. If I look at the vehicles, there's so much that's happening. The, the interface with the charging ports is, I don't want to say all over the place, but almost the voltage at which vehicles are getting charged is all over the place. And for a good reason, it, it needs to improve. The infrastructure does not really exist if we want to bring massive electrification along the highways and the roadways. So I would say if we were to focus on one activity that gives us back massive returns is engagement, is communication, is establishing standards, is establishing uh, working committees between those two sectors. This podcast is a production of Ashto, and its primary audience are State Departments of Transportation. How do Power Edison and EV Edison serve infrastructure that's owned and operated by these state DOTs? Yeah, th this is a, a sector that we're working closely and intimately with today. And I'll, I'll give you specific examples of how we are collaborating on solving problems as the agencies and the uh, different stakeholders are accelerating the electrification of the transportation sector. Uh, as I said earlier, Power Edison have pioneered mobile utility scale batteries and EV Edison speaks the language of EV charging and electrification of transportation. And the two entities, as far as we're concerned, call them one entity just for, for this discussion. The state agencies uh, need to build up or provide or facilitate really large, when I say large, it is large, and I'll, I'll quantify this for you, large electrical infrastructure so that now, instead of transporting liquid fuels that fuels uh, the movement of vehicles, electrons need to be brought into those vehicles. And I'll give you a specific example. Uh, we both happen to live in New Jersey, 
And in New Jersey, and I'll just narrow the discussion to just light-duty vehicles, not even medium and heavy-duty, even though New Jersey has a disproportionate share of medium and heavy-duty vehicles, we have about 6 million light-duty vehicles in New Jersey. If each one of those had a new outlet provided for that vehicle to charge in the form of just your like electric dryer, just a 240-volt or 220-volt outlet that anyone can have at their home or garage, uh, that provides about 10 kilowatts in the form of power measurement of power to the vehicle. Whether you plug in all at the same time or not, but there is a chance, 1% chance, that everyone is plugging in roughly at the same time. So you have 10 kilowatts times 6 million vehicles. That's 60 gigawatts, 60 gigawatts of power just to electrify light-duty vehicles in New Jersey. Wow. The whole grid in New Jersey that we built over the last 100 years that we paid hundreds of billions of dollars for is 17 gigawatts in scale. So we, we haven't even touched medium duty. We haven't touched heavy duty. And so we're talking about massive electrical infrastructure build out that is more kind of disproportionately tied to the roadways. So this is this infrastructure, most of it needs to show up along highways, along rest stops, along. So kind of summarize this, it is not an easy task to bring that electrical infrastructure that's going to take the utilities and the public and transportation authorities and agencies to come together. The reality is this is a very slow process. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is very slow, even outside of the supply chain challenges that we, we have today. You go to the grocery store, a lot of products are not there. You go to Home Depot, you go with a lot of components, you go to order certain things. So, and we know in the electrical sector, most utilities in the country, they need at least two years to order a transformer that used to be in stock, but now two years to wait. So how do we do this with such delays and you need to get siting, permitting, eminent domain, and so on? This is where we come in. We build utility-scale infrastructure off-site at our facilities. And let's say there's a rest stop that needs to be electrified. Let's say of you know the turnpike or of the throughway in New York State. Well, traditionally a tanker with liquid fuel would show up and fill up the underground tanks, and the gas station fills up vehicles and they move on. Well, now we need to fill up with electrons, but the electrical infrastructure around is not designed and it's not there. And if it's there, it'll take two to five years to bring appropriately to the gas station. We can within months, six months, build big batteries on trucks that can charge at a nearby solar farm, that can charge at a substation along the transmission or the distribution infrastructure could be 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. And in a cost-effective manner, we can on a daily basis shuttle those electrons. In a, now it's not a fuel tanker, it's a big battery. And we can stand up that charging infrastructure, say within six months to eight months, as compared to four or five years and beyond. But that's a key area of how we can, through mobile infrastructure, solve the biggest problem that's being faced by the sector today, which is the infrastructure problem. 
You talked just now about light-duty vehicles and the infrastructure that's needed for them, but you're working across modes. You're working on ports, airports, transit, as well as roadways. What lessons have you learned from this multimodal approach that you're taking, and how do power infrastructure needs differ depending on the facility? I, you know, Talking about shipping electrons, I would imagine it's, it's quite a bit different shipping them to an airport than it may be to a rest stop along a toll roadway. That is true. At a high level, we're a mobile power provider and, and energy. When you integrate power over time, it's energy. So power and energy are, are related in this discussion. So I just give an example of the rest stop along the highway where a truck is the best motor for transportation for bringing that electron in. We are at the same time working with transit authorities that need to do the same for uh, electrifying trains ports, seaports, or airports need that electric power. Uh, So we are agnostic when it comes to the mode of transportation, meaning uh, we're not necessarily a truck mobile battery company. We mobilize on rail. We mobilize on barges. Uh, For example, in New York City, uh, we have a very strong pipeline and we have construction programs and so on where barges are being developed and built. And why barges? Frankly, because real estate is expensive in New York City. So you've got what we call the blue highways, the waterways. It it is more difficult in some aspects and it's easier in other aspects. So weight happens to be a big challenge for batteries. They're they're really very heavy. The new batteries are not that much different than your lead acid battery. If you try to carry one, it's dead weight. Same thing with lithium ion. But the nice thing on the water, it's actually easier from a weight perspective and weight per axle and bridge laws and frost laws and all the issues we have to deal with on the roadways. They're not as critical on the waterways, but other things come into play like anchorage, like mooring, like coast guard operations, like wind. Uh, What we are learning is that we need to be flexible. Uh, We need to be adaptive. And frankly, we are to some degree technology agnostic because Like I said earlier, this sector, whether the transportation sector or the power sector, are going through such a rapid change of technological innovation that we are open-minded. Maybe the next transportation is a a better battery. Maybe the next transportation is carrying the electrons in the form of hydrogen and then move it to a fuel cell. We maintain an open mind, and that is allowing us to win in a big way and allowing us to also serve our partners in a more open-minded way because different problem statements require different solutions. Under the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, state DOTs have been given a very important role to deliver the electric vehicle charging because of those programs. Are there models for public-private collaboration that are particularly well-suited when it comes to electrical vehicle charging? Yes, for sure. I think when we analyze what a model infrastructure site and relationship look like, first of all, what we'll see is that the dollar amount coming out of the feds is great, but not sufficient. Like I said earlier, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars that will be needed to make the infrastructure happen. So when I look at the numbers, the numbers are great. Uh, But in the larger scheme of things, uh, they fall in the single digit in terms of the budget that is needed. So what does that mean? That means we need other sources of 
funding to make this happen. Well, how do we do that? Luckily, through uh, infrastructure development, uh, the industry and the public sector have developed P3 or public-private partnership arrangements. You've seen it for airports, you've seen it for toll roads, you've seen it for uh, many other large infrastructure facilities where the public takes the lead on the solution and maybe some of the initial funding, but the bulk of the capital has to come from the private sector. And so I would say at the highest level, we need to adopt more of the P3 models. Uh, you see it at airports. I mean, this is done quite a bit um, where the public sector defines the need. Private sector comes in under public-private partnership, brings the capital, and this needs to happen here. And a project through the revenues, through the use of proceeds is constructed and built. The other area that I see that needs more collaboration is that the energy content of liquid fuels is very high, meaning so many gallons of gasoline will move a car a long distance and you can fuel that vehicle maybe in three to five minutes. It'll probably be five to 10 years before we can do the same uh, with electric vehicles, meaning charge a vehicle in five minutes and it would drive four to 500 miles. What that means by definition that the vehicles have to dwell or stay longer in order to fuel. Well, that means someone is going to spend 30 minutes or 40 minutes when they charge up their vehicle, medium or light duty or heavy duty. That means additional facilities will be needed. That means additional space will be needed. So a rest stop along a highway that would have been adequate for liquid fuel refueling might need to be five or six times larger and more facilities need to be provided because more people are going to be there, you know, five times, six times more people. So that restaurant or that restroom. And so now uh, both the public sector and the private sector need to think about beyond the electricity, beyond the electrons, about additional facilities because that's kind of the new lifestyle that, that's going to happen. And, and the interesting thing is that fast forward 10 years, I'm a firm believer that we will get to that five-minute charge. So what do we do in the interim? It's similar to people having a gasoline car, then buying a hybrid, then buying an electric. The hybrid vehicle has a gasoline engine and an electric. So you're carrying both. So unfortunately, we have to do the same over the next 10 years, which is in order to be successful with this transition, we have to overbuild in some aspects, but we have to be smart. And by that, I mean, we have to be forward compatible. And frankly, this is where mobile infrastructure is forward compatible because when you don't need all that extra infrastructure, you move it away to another site that's being developed. You're not left with permanent or stranded assets. So flexibility, mobility, dynamic power solutions, dynamic. I have come across people who are inventing now uh, either restaurants on wheels or rest stops on wheels. Why? Because you might need to overbuild for now, but that one needs to shrink again in 10 years. So maybe you take those assets to another location that needs them. I think you touched on this in your last answer, but I'm curious if we're successful in increasing the electrification of our fleets, what is the world going to look like in 10 years or so when there are a lot more EVs out there, what is the public going to see? Are we going to see EV filling stations, much like we see gasoline stations today? There's a there's a, a fascinating book called Empires of Light. And the book 
uh, is a great book, covers the evolution of the electrification of the world. It touches upon many things. I mean, it touches upon how uh, Manhattan used to look with previous technologies and where wires are all over the place and then fires would happen frequently because it wasn't safe. And uh, it also, I've come across how, for example, a place like New York City used to look before internal combustion engine vehicles uh, with all the horses and the smell and, and, and the muddy streets and so on. And if you contrast that, today between, you know, say 150 years ago, what New York City used to look like, it's day and night. It's much better, cleaner, safer today, either from the transportation side or the electricity side. I think the same is going to happen now with electrification. First of all, noise emissions are going to go way down. Mm -hmm. the, the internal combustion engine, you know, there's almost you know, an, an explosion inside you know, that's how motion is created and you want to muffle that sound. There's none of that in an electric vehicle. You can stand next to an electric vehicle, sometimes don't even know that it's about to move or it's moving. Sometimes the manufacturers add artificial sound just to alert people that the vehicle is moving. So that's fantastic from a noise pollution. Obviously, the primary area is the greenhouse gas reductions and the emissions reductions. And for someone who lives in New Jersey, not too far from the North Kearney area, our main office, our office is in Kearney. If you look at a map of greenhouse gas emissions, it's a sad story with all the vehicles going in and out of the port. You've got the airport right there. You've got traffic congestion in and out of New York City. So the, the biggest advantage that we're going to see is the clearer skies, better air to breathe, better health for people, lower asthma rates. So lower emissions, lower noise pollution, but also within these what we call uh, city islands with all the vehicles and the, as we know, internal combustion engine is, you know, at the most, maybe 30%, 25% efficient. The other percentage that 60 or 70 and sometimes more with you know, probably 80 to 90% is waste heat. So we're producing so much waste heat as the vehicles are moving, especially at low speed in congested areas. So we will see a significant drop in the temperature, and especially in days like this, the summer, uh, that is making it more difficult to air condition, that's making it more difficult to breathe and walk around. So I think the our cities are going to be much more livable, better, healthier, quieter. Uh, that's a change that I'm very much looking forward to. Well, this has been a fascinating look into the future of electric vehicles here in the United States. We've been talking on this edition of Ashto's ETAP podcast with Dr. Shahab Curran, the co-founder and CEO of Power Edison and co-founder and executive chairman of its sister company, EV Edison. Shahab, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Bernie.